Future Now, Future Next, in association with ESB. Be part of a brighter future with ESB. Welcome to RTE's Future Now, Future Next with me, Andy O'Donoghue. In this series, we explore how technology is changing how we live now and how it will revolutionise our future world. Now, I've lived in a city for most of my life and I think it's very easy to feel like a small cog in that big city machine. But what we have seen during the pandemic is how cities can change very rapidly. In this episode, we meet Ali Sheraton, sustainability and climate advisor, who'll outline her vision and thoughts on what constitutes the city of the future. And then we'll explore how some of those theories will play out from a planning perspective with Jamie Cudden of Dublin City Council. We'll also explore how people will get around our cities in a more sustainable way with Paul Hogan of ESB and how people will share transport with Eric Wang from Wind Mobility. So without any further ado, Ali Sheridan, Sustainability and Climate Advisor. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Millie, for having me. Ali, first of all, the future of cities, and given what we have seen play out over the last 12 months, the cities are quieter, there's less pollution. Has the nature of the city changed? Yeah, it's a really interesting one to, to watch play out, but I think cities had started to change probably pre-COVID. What we know about development and settlements in Ireland and around the world is that our cities were beginning bigger, more people were drawn to them, uh, particularly in areas of oh, population increase. But we also know that they're going to be absolutely vital enablers when we talk about a more sustainable future, maybe changing how we do things. So COVID has maybe forced that to quicken a little bit in terms of what that transition might look like. But I think we really see the impacts of where the gaps were in terms of how we treated cities beforehand. So like you say, you visit a city today and it's very empty. It's very quiet. It's not doing what it used to do. And maybe that speaks to the imbalance that we had in terms of how we use cities. So in particular, or for example, if we take a city like Dublin, we know that there was a heavy focus on employees and a heavy focus on tourism, but maybe not so much in actually living and residing in the city. And we see that gap now in terms of, of when we visit it. So we really have to now rethink what is going to be the Dublin, the future Dublin or our future city and how it might play a more vital part in, in what a future development and sustainability in Ireland might mean. So really needing to, to rethink what it is we want our cities to do for us. Do we want people to be able to live in our cities? And if we do, we need to think about those facilities that are available to them. Let's take Tempelhof Airport in Berlin as an example, which has been turned into an incredible, accessible green space. Should we now look to existing infrastructure to replicate that idea? We're starting to see the emergence of green walls throughout the city, which is fantastic. We see green roofs being used across Europe, which have a, like I say, a health and well-being, but also a sustainability role to play. And also thinking around the, the scope and the, the lifestyle of cities as well. So again, if we think about an Irish city, there's not much going on past a certain time in the evening, you know, and then is that a clever use of buildings? Is that a clever use of space that they're, they're shut down for 12 hours a day? So how might we expand our thinking and our potentials of our cities to bring a bit of, bit of life back into them, to bring a bit of culture back into them? 
If people aren't working as much in the city, we're not using as much office space, is it an opportunity to think about higher density living within cities? And would that make a huge difference on how we plan them? Irish people maybe are, are tied to the vision of a house with a garden, uh, but we know that's not something maybe that's going to be available for everyone or needs to be available for everyone. So it's about rethinking not just high density for the sake of it, but how can we you know, redesign high density? How can we make it tick the boxes that we need to tick in terms of we know what people need? So for example, when I lived in the Netherlands, we lived with a young family in a fantastic high level um, high density apartment block. We had shared facilities, we had shared garden space, we had rooms that we could rent if we needed extra space to have a party. Really clever design, understanding the balance of, yes, the private homeowners needs, but also the things that people desire uh, for a good lifestyle as well. And how can we be clever about providing them within limited space and keeping that kind of sustainability mindset as well? So I think there's lots of opportunity to challenge what we think good looks like in terms of how we live um, and in the face of what is a, a growing challenge in terms of trying to limit the amount of space we take for housing, get that balance right between, you know, housing needs and greening the city as well. If we plan smart cities properly, can we end up with greener, smarter, happier places to live? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the goal is, is to get places that, that tick all those boxes, not just around sustainability, but exactly like you say, they're happier, they're healthier places where communities can thrive, where communities can grow that are inclusive, that are accessible, they're not just for those that can afford it or those particularly people at this life stage that are diverse as well. And, you know, all the things we we want our cities to be, you know, and I think now we're getting to a point where it's being slightly forced by COVID, but also enabled by innovation, by, you know, learning our lessons from the past. And we have a really strong opportunity to deliver on that vision in the coming years. And cities really are going to be key in terms of how we move forward. So it's a really exciting time, but I think those those goals should always be top of mind. It's never enough just to focus on the environmental side or the sustainability, the happiness, the healthiness, uh, the contentness of citizens has to be right up there as well. Ali Sheridan, Sustainability and Climate Advisor, thanks for being here. Thanks a million. Jamie Cudden is Smart Cities Lead at Dublin City Council and Paul Hogan is the E-Mobility Business Development Lead at ESB. Jamie, Paul, thanks for being here. Thank you. See you, Andrew. The pandemic has shown us how rapidly things can change. So will people still gather in cities in the future? And if so, will it be for different reasons? Jamie, your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's so much to think about in terms of the impact of COVID on our cities and cities around the world. I, I think cities have been hit disproportionately compared to you know, the rest of the, the country, it's kind of interesting because normally cities are places where business and economy thrives, where what we've seen with COVID, it's, it's completely the opposite. Um, but I think, you know, a couple of issues that we've kind of learned is understanding, you know, what happens in our cities. So how people are moving, where people are concentrating, you know, that, that's become an even bigger priority for, for cities and decision makers. And for sure, what we've seen in, in Dublin city centre, I mean, I'm in the city centre at the moment, it's dead, there's nobody here, everyone's out in the suburbs. And, and it really, really does kind of raise a kind of a challenge in terms of what's the future of the, you know, the Docklands, which is a, a very successful business district, you know, our office investments, our retail centres, you know, what's going to happen to these places as we kind of move back into some sort of normal hybrid of, of working maybe um, from home and also working in the office. But I, I think, you know, cities are centres of innovation. We need to kind of be together to create ideas, to, you know, to, to, to create new business 
Uh, and I think that's still going to remain the same. I think probably how we use the city centre will be different. You know, we've seen a massive acceleration in terms of e-commerce and I guess all the challenges that come with logistics. And I'm, I'm delighted to see a lot of acceleration in terms of electrification of, of logistic fleets, which hopefully will have a, a real positive impact on the environment. But but I think, you know, the, the traditional retail, maybe the large kind of stores, department stores that we've seen in the city centre, that, that's probably not something that's going to persevere into the future. It'll be more about the experience mm. um, of, of being in the city centre, I suppose the experience of, of culture, the experience of, of eating and meeting and socialising. And I think we'll probably see a lot less, you know, priority in terms of maybe cars in the city centre into the future, but more focused on quality use of space, greening the city and just making it a much more attractive place to be and to come into. And, and I think, you know, from a tourism perspective, from the future of, of our, our economy of, of Dublin, you know, we really have to rethink and reimagine what the future of, of a city centre looks like. And I'm hearing this in cities all around the world, even who would have thought that, you know, outdoor dining would have been possible uh, in Dublin. But we saw, you know, last year that actually we can do it. Maybe the weather is not so bad. And if you put an extra coat on, you know, <laughs> it can actually be an enjoyable experience. So it's, it's fascinating to see where this is going to go. But absolutely, cities need to be centres of innovation and need to be places where people want to come and enjoy. Jamie, I love the phrase city as a service, and it's an idea that I like the sound of. Does it mean that cities will service us as citizens better? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and I don't know if you've heard the word citizen science. It's probably something that, you know, if you're into watching like bird watching or, you know, wildlife, you know, for, for years, people were collecting data in terms of how many birds did you see in certain areas. But, and now this is taking it to the next level. So how could we actually deploy these kind of low cost sensors in our communities, in our neighbourhoods, to kind of empower us to understand, you know, maybe the quality of the air, the levels of congestion, mm. and, and actually use that data then to kind of get people more aware of maybe some of the challenges that we face, and and then push, I suppose, the city and policy people to kind of think, you know, more about the issues that people face locally, and and it's not just a conversation about politics and gut instinct. It's actually a conversation about data, and and hopefully that data to help drive better decision so it's, it's quite exciting this idea of technology and how it can empower people and and how we can kind of use it for benefit of, of public good and and really change the narrative in our cities paul the electrification of transport is that something that really needs to race ahead what we're seeing at the moment is you know the the what we call the the beginning of the hockey stick of ev uptake and in essence what that means is we're now really starting to see a kind of a jump year on year in the uptake of evs people choosing them over internal combustion engine options um, and it's really building that momentum is is the key so from our perspective from ASB's perspective we see ourselves as the the fuel of the future and uh, the source of of energy for these vehicles as they come along and a key part of trying to convince people that EV is the way forward is providing the infrastructure to support them so the eCars network is is the Irish uh, nationwide network for for refueling of electric vehicles in a public sense and in a public sphere. So just taking what, what Jamie was discussing about data-driven decision-making, for us, data is key because it helps us to make the decisions on where to put the charging infrastructure mm. and where to put those charge points to support people on a daily basis. So rather than putting charge points out for any 
other reason you focus on the people focus on the user when you talk about ev and, and and car charging points we're in the early stages of rolling that out in a sense i suppose but how do you assess where to go next and you know what sort of journeys will people be making and will that determine where you put these charge points in terms of trying to predict the future and in many ways you have to take yourself out of the position of trying to predict the future and instead focus on you know, co-creation with councils, with local authorities, with with state bodies to try and put yourself in the end user's position and determine, you know, what's the path of least resistance. So really what you're trying to look for is a way of making that solution that bit more attractive. So that might be, for example, in the case of a city commute from 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 the outskirts of, of a city to know that you maybe have a designated location where you can come, park your char- park your car, plug it into a charger, take your commute into into the city to do your work, might be, might be by e-bike or e-scooter or an electric tram, and then know that you come back to a fully charged vehicle to continue your journey. So really what we're trying to achieve, I'll say, as is to provide a solution that actually is a step change from the idea of pulling into a forecourt to get petrol or diesel. Okay, interesting. And Paul, in, in regards to mobility, it's a, and I think it's worth considering given, you know, when we're talking about EVs, are we all likely to own our own vehicle in the future? In the boot, perhaps we'll have a scooter for that last mile commute to work. Or is it likely to be a case of shared ownership? There is very definitely a a change coming in terms of the demographic uh, attitude towards car ownership. The the Uber generation who prefer to be able to simply call a a lift whenever they need it. Um, And ultimately, that's going to be part of the the, the step change of as autonomous and self-driving vehicles become normalized over the next 10, 20, 30 years. And, um, you know, does does a car manufacturer actually sell product by way of cars or do they operate a fleet? And, you know, you can see the, the, the kind of the suggestions from the likes of Tesla that that's where they think things are going to go. That they'll become almost a proxy to an Uber with autonomous equivalent vehicles. And that being said, there's still going to be a multi-generational existence of, of transport on the roads. So there will be people who will prefer to just outright purchase a car as they always have done. Um, and, you know, right now we're seeing good uptake in terms of people just outright buying Nissan Leafs, Kia E-Neros and, and, and other electric vehicles that are becoming more popular. Um, but there's very definitely going to be a blend, I think, into the future. And that concept of cities as a service, I think, is a really important point because all you have to do is look at major urban centres like London and, and, and other such cities. And the car ownership is significantly lower per capita. Um, they tend to depend on the services of taxis, Ubers and, and other public transport services. So then that raises the question of well, what does mobility within a city look like? And I suppose our view is that we want to be able to provide the the green electric fuel for the mobility as a service within a city. But we're also conscious of the fact that cities are trying to reduce congestion, reduce the number of of non-essential vehicles in cities to try and make it a more pleasant place to be. And so from our perspective, you know, we want to make sure that our infrastructure that is being installed for electrification of transport is both in the right locations and has the future in mind in terms of once we've moved on from, cell, I'll say, uh, you know, EVs where you plug it in yourself to possibly robotic equivalent, mm-hmm. that actually the buried infrastructure, the stuff beneath the waterline, is in the right places to allow that into the future. So that means working with the cities, working with the likes of Jamie and his team to, to innovate and plan the infrastructure so that it's in the right locations as we see that innovation and change. 
And I think, you know, the, the, the likely direction that we're going to see in the next kind of five to 10 years in terms of the kinds of things that cities are more likely to start to work towards is the idea of e-mobility hubs. Mm-hmm. So there'll be like central hub locations where you can like uh, a, a daily commute, maybe drive to a car park on the outskirts of the city, park your EV, plug it in, um, have an e-bike or e-scooter to continue your journey or possibly a car club, electric car club, where you can mm. pick up another vehicle to continue your journey. It might be near to public transport. So essentially trying to you know, streamline people into that system. And what drives that thought process is data, is making those decisions based on where flow is. If you look at the fact that uh, Dublin Bikes was established in 2009 and from conversations with them, they very much felt out how the flow of bikes would work over over a given day. Now they can look at data, they can look at mobile phone data, they can look at usage data, and they can make very strategic decisions about where to have the bikes and when to have them. And that's the kind of thought process that working with cities, we as infrastructure providers can really build a progressive future. Paul, just as as we're talking about mobility and you know the electrification, now one thing we haven't talked about, so we, we've, we've been talking about land-based mobility, but what about the air or airspace over a city? Is there an opportunity to use it usefully over the next few years? <laughs> so, Andrew, as um, as a recreational paragliding pilot, it's a, <laughs> a point that's close to my heart outside <laughs> of my my day job. But I think it's a really important topic to to keep one eye on. Um, we we find ourselves mixing more and more with uh, with providers who are trying to develop solutions that will have essentially last mile delivery by drone that may have, you know, certain services, emergency services by drone in, in catch, specific catchment areas that are maybe problematic. Um, so could could be a case of, you know, rapid delivery of, for example, um, you know, blood transfusion and, and organs. Um, and generally speaking, what we're seeing is, is this, this rise in the, the, the concept that, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what the transport means is, but you know how are we going to fuel it? And, and ultimately, that's that's the the kind of the backbone conversation around all of this is the aviation industry is undergoing a complete and utter overhaul, accelerated by a pandemic, um, which means that they they really are you know having that that inward looking moment to determine you know what what is what are the next steps. So we're seeing a lot of really heavy innovation driven by electrification of transport, the advancement of battery technology, which is kind of the backbone of, of any sort of electrification of any form of transport. Um, and I do think that within, you know, probably further out, we're talking 20, 25, 30 years, we're going to see it more proliferated as, as a norm. And it presents a whole host of challenges for the likes of the city councils and for the aviation authorities to try and determine how do you you know, manage it, how do you monetize it, how do you structure it so as mm. to ensure safety of, of, of everybody on the ground and anybody in the air, including myself. Um, but from a practical perspective, you know, absolutely, it, it has a part to play. But it goes back to the same point I made earlier about making sure that the infrastructure to, to support it, and in our case, that's the electrical infrastructure, is, you know, in the right places mm. and is reinforced to the point where it can, it can aid that uptake. When you talk about infrastructure, of course, are you saying that we're not just talking about EV infrastructure on the ground? Do you mean that we could have charging points for drones or mini copters on top of buildings around the city? Absolutely. So, you know, in, in my role with, with the ESBZ cars business, I'm working predominantly on, I'll call it the above ground piece, mm. you know, the, the charge point to serve the, the, the customer. Um, and it's very much customer focused. My colleagues in ESB Networks, 
from their perspective, they're worried about making sure that the transmission and distribution network is being evolved to accommodate all of this future proofing that's coming down the tracks. And it, it goes you know, to the simple level of making sure that homes and housing estates are being developed with the right thought process about the fact that an EV will be parked outside most homes and um, potentially. And, and, you know, but also considering, you know, larger scale industrial uh, deployment of infrastructure in cities and, and on a scale that will accommodate potentially further expansion into new unknown territories like, like uh, electric uh, unmanned flight. Jamie, when you listen when you listen to Paul there, how do you then and you know and you might just talk um, about the digital twin city initiative as well, perhaps. How do you make decisions about where infrastructure is positioned, and is it a case that ongoing data collection will help us make more informed and better decisions? I think maybe traditionally we were kind of more siloed and ad hoc, maybe in terms of how we planned for some of these future trends. I think we're becoming much more proactive mm-hmm. as a city. But I think people just, you know, it's phenom- It's amazing how fast some of the technology trends have moved. Even, even Paul talking about drones there, we've kind of set up a, a drones working group in Dublin City Council. And, you know, it came as a surprise, I think, uh, to us that there's over 14 different kind of sections that are using drones or looking to use drones. Um, and, and, you know, as Paul said, emergency response, how the fire brigade use drones is f- phenomenal for kind of first responder but also in terms of just mapping, you know, I suppose buildings at risk and, and things like that. But across a whole range of services, you know, from pollution control, even just how we use it for events and filming and licensing that type of activity is is, is really interesting. But I think you touched upon the idea of the, the digital twin uh, as well. But as we kind of use the drones, you know, we're getting all this really useful information and we're starting to be able to kind of build 3D models of the city and this idea of, of a digital twin. And then when you start kind of building these models and then putting in the data uh, that you get from, you know, different sensors across the city, you can start then really planning for a future in in a completely different way that's much more interactive, it's much more visual, and actually it's much easier to communicate to other people in terms of what the city might look like in three years or five years, or you're building a new uh, development, what impact it might have on transport, on pollution and things like that. So Digital Twin is is something that's, uh, that's certainly really exciting. And really, I think those type of tools are really going to help us plan for where we put the infrastructure in in the right place. And, and, and another area we haven't mentioned is 5G. And, you know, that's a big hot topic for us in the City Council. We've just set up setting up a new telecoms unit to figure out how we can support accelerated relative 5G, 5G in the city. Because these cars, as they move towards autonomous vehicles, as the drones, you know, proliferate in the sky, they need to be able to connect in almost near time mm. and connect really, I suppose, seamlessly and, and I think that's going to be the next big thing. If we, if we can get that alignment between future connectivity, the technology and the investments in the right places, then we're onto the, I suppose, the right track in terms of making sure our city is future proof and, and continue to drive innovation, create good jobs and be successful in the future. You're listening to Future Now, Future Next in association with ESB. ESB, creating a brighter future for all. You've both mentioned that sort of interaction with the city that's required. And right now I have apps on my phone so I can order a takeaway or order a taxi. But in five years time, given the amount of services that I am likely to be able to access in a city, how will I interact with the city? Will there be an ecosystem almost? I think firstly, you know, you talk about how would I interact with, with the city. I think what we want to try and do is think from the perspective of a citizen in terms of how do you want to get around the city, what you want to do in the city? Because sometimes I think we think in silos 
And it's like almost, you know, getting your public transport and then having to you know, sign up to a car club and you have all these different apps on your phone. I think where we need to move towards is integration of all these services in a way that, you know, is seamless. You don't have to worry about paying separate times. You, you just, it serves you as you need it. And it makes it easy to get around the city and do different things. Even extending that out, you know, how do you find out more information about what's happening around the city? Just a more tailored, customized experience. It's, it's a bit like Spotify and they almost know what your playlist, the music you like. You know, can you imagine, you know, in the next five, 10 years, you know, being able to kind of tailor the experience for you in a way that just makes it really nice and really enjoyable to live in Dublin? Paul, just as Jamie men- mentions climate, do you think it's possible to have a greener, brighter future if we reimagine and rework what the middle of cities look like? I'll, I'll use a personal example. I think the, the pandemic has probably, you know, given given a lot of people the, the food for thought about, you know, what their their imprint is on on the planet and it comes at an appropriate time when there's a lot of people suggesting that look you know now we need to take stock and figure out you know what we can do personally to, to contribute to the the uh the climate crisis um and i mean you know i'll, I'll use my own example my my old commute pre-covid was a five kilometer uh, commute across the city from one side to the other in the most obscure route possible uh, guaranteed to hit traffic if i was in a car it would take me typically 20 minutes on my bicycle or 20 minutes running, whichever whichever I chose on a given day. If I happened to jump in the car, if I had to, um, it was typically an hour to an hour and a half to get across the city. So that's not sustainable. And you can just see it straight away. It's not realistically sustainable. Um, Post-COVID or, or in, in the post-COVID world, I've actually left the city. I've moved from city centre living after 15 years. I've moved out of the city. And I will now be facing potentially a commute into the city. So contextually, I can see it from the point of view of, you know, there is a, a mass movement away from city centre living. And uh, generally speaking, I think people want to try and, you know, find that balance in their in their life. And I think what's what's underpinning all of the thought process really is, you know, what's what's a comfortable city experience for, for people? Um, you know, what do people want from from the city? Um, and, and for me, you know, it goes back to the idea of it being a central place for collaboration. So in my future, I envisage that I will still travel to, to Dublin City to, to, to work, but it will be when I'm needed to, to collaborate and when, when there's a need that, that I can see that, you know, I need to get together with people to innovate and collaborate and meet people like Jamie and, you know, work on, on projects to evolve um, our, our sector. But I suppose, you know, the, the, the long-term future all you have to do is look at what maybe cities like like London and and other UK cities, as well as Scandinavian cities and other cities across across Europe, the likes of Paris, looking at trying to implement a fifteen minute city, and that kind of baseline concept of trying to make the city work for people as opposed to people work for the city, and trying to focus on creating a space that people are comfortable and that they can use it for what it is intended to be used for. And I think that's the challenge is actually trying to carve out what it what is our city for? Is it for living? Is it for working? Or is it for a combination of the above? And, and when you say that, I, I take it you mean not just for people who are who are of working age, but you mean families and children and and, you know, and, and that's where the context, I suppose, comes back of museums and concerts and events. They're the things maybe that we really want to travel back into cities for. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're starting to see it in particular in, in cities like Copenhagen, 
placing the individual ahead of the, the, the need of a business or a corporate or, or otherwise, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's really refreshing to see because you know that, you know, their preference is to try and make, make a city a location that's enjoyable to be as opposed to a place where someone has to commute to because they have to work nine to five at a desk that they then leave and face a horrible commute to get away from. <laughs> Listening to both of you is encouraging and it feels like there's lots of planning and ideas about where we're going with the smart city of the future. But Jamie, if I asked you, what what could we do right now? What would give us the biggest impetus to speed this up? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a big question to finish off with, but um, but certainly... I think you know we we need to be just more aligned in terms of how we invest in our in our technology decisions to make sure they're aligned with our climate, you know, our climate action. And I think it, it's not technology for technology's sake. I, I think the end goal is that you know it's a cleaner city, it's it's a greener city that we're addressing our climate targets, we're reducing emissions, and by kind of getting that connected view and working you know, collaboratively across industry, across academia, you know, within the public sector, let's try and break out of the silos to make sure that we're all on that kind of same journey. And at the end of the day, you know, it's about delivering just a a, a much better quality experience and much better, you know, quality of environment for for Dubliners. And that's, you know, it's a win-win for everyone, but, you know, there will be unpopular decisions. I think that's the, the challenge, you know, we can't cater for everyone. So I think that's why I think the data is so important that, you know, if, if we're making unpopular decisions to be able to say, well, listen, we're, we're reducing the number of people who are dying from poor air quality. We're, you know, in, increasing the quality of life. We're, we're doing things that, that actually really make a benefit. It may not seem like a good idea at the start, but in the long term, we have to work towards this end goal. And, and I think that that's for me, that's super important. Um, Jamie Cudden, Smart Cities Lead at Dublin City Council and Paul Hogan, E-Mobility Business Development Lead at ESB. Thanks for being here. So we've discussed cities as a service and mobility and how cities of the future will adapt to better serve our needs. But what about the sharing of transport? Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Eric Wang, founder and CEO of scooter sharing company Wind Mobility. It's very exciting that Wind Mobility are coming to Ireland. But what drew you to the Irish market, Eric? No, Ireland is a, a, a great market for scooter sharing. You know, if you look at Dublin, if you look at Cork uh, City, there's a, a strong demand, right, for uh, scooter sharing. And uh, second, if you look at the city, right, actually uh, Dublin is the sixth most congested city, right, in uh, uh, in Europe, right? So I'm not too sure that's a, a proud achievement, but uh, <laughs> uh, we can help, right, to be part of the solution, right, to help reduce some of that congestion. And uh, uh, the uh, three is, uh, you know, the city has really uh, stepped up the game in terms of pushing more bike lanes. And uh, the more bike lane covers, the more density of bike lane, then, you know, then the, 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 we can see a more safer and better adaption to a scooter. Eric, if I asked you to look five or 10 years into the future, how much of transport do you think will be shared mobility in total? Uh, what we see in some of these other markets, right? For instance, uh, in Tel Aviv, right? Um, their target is 25% of the uh, transport is on shared micro mobility, like mainly shared scooter, right? So, uh, and uh, uh, that's a very explicit target from the city. And we're also seeing that currently today in some of the market in Germany, right? Over 20% of the commute trips are via uh, uh, micro mobility. Right. And uh, some of these are other markets still a little bit behind, like less than 10 percent of that. Like we're not even talking about 25 percent. That's a short term 
right? You were thinking about, you know, like a mid to long term, you can think about potentially even 70%, over two thirds of the trips of mobility in city are uh, uh, on the shared mobility solution. So given the potential adoption of shared mobility, does that mean that the car isn't needed anymore? So I think that's a great question. There's a lot of debate, you know, uh, or whether this will be the future, right? But uh, um, I think, first of all, cars still have a place because, uh, you know, cars become more autonomous and smarter, right? Cars, you know, we see that now the car is being produced with, uh, you know, seat facing each other, right? So uh, not facing the road. So, uh, and these cars can be used for shared scenario, right? And they can come pick you up and then take you to the next session. So that means they will be eliminating a lot of parking space for private cars, right? And, but that being said, I think there's still some uh, a specific case scenario where private cars still become uh, helpful, right? For instance, I have very two small kids and they're all both under two and, uh, you know, they need a, a um, you know, custom seat, uh, you know, in case we need to go to hospital very quickly, but we hope these type of case are very limited and uh, small. And, um, you know, what we see potentially, you know, the, uh, the future is probably the, you know, more than 70% of the trips will be on shared, mm. on shared vehicles, doesn't matter if it's a shared car, shared, uh, shared bike or shared scooters, right? And then we hope uh, there will be more of that. Right? And then I, we can really free up the public infrastructure that's parked cars to give it back to the, uh, to the citizen, right? To use it as a park, to use it as a, you know, a, 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 a you know, fun place rather than just a, you know, a parking lot. Eric, you mentioned shared usage and Given that idea, do you think that one day I could end up with a card that will get me access to scooters, bikes, and even public transport? A, there will be probably some synergies, right, between like a multiple mode, right? Like if you have one app that can have multiple modes of transportation that help get to your destination. But on the other hand, um, there are still cases for specific use case, right? Because the best user experience uh, help when second, um, with any business, especially scooter, that's so new. It's not like bus service or train that's been already running for many, many years. There's very clear standard procedure. They're very clear how to operate one. Right? This is where you need a little bit of that entrepreneur mindset, like the, the startup mentality, the innovator, right? To push the boundaries, right? To really iterate quickly and then to optimize and then to help provide the best product. We're iterating on the product, right? Like say with a scooter, we're iterating on the how we operate and try to quickly improve the technology to satisfy the user and the public demand. And we also uh, improve on how we operate so that we can provide the best cost opt, uh, structure so we can lower the price and then more people can adapt to it. So that innovation process I think it's better to let it play out, right? And uh, uh, for some time, right? And then to rather than just say, hey, this is the public transport infrastructure. Here's just uh, do it. And this is one way to do it, right? And, uh, you know, at, at the scooter stage, we're so early, we're not there yet, mm -hmm. right? So probably I think the integration will happen better at a later stage where we there is uh, uh, more established. Eric Wang, co-founder and CEO of Wind Mobility. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of Future Now, Future Next. See you next time. Join us next time for Future Now, Future Next in association with ESB. ESB, leading the way to a brighter future for all.